If you have your copy of Scripture, find the Proverbs, please. Just past halfway through the Bible, past the Psalms. And um, actually, it's Psalm, I said Proverbs, Psalm 20, 29. Psalm 20, 29. And um, I'm going to read in just a moment. If I can find it, uh, I'm going to, that's not right either. It is Proverbs, isn't it? That was a hard birthday uh, I had. <laughs> Proverbs 20, 29, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but if you, um, if, it'll, be, uh, it'll be very close to what you, you have. <clears throat> I did, as Kristen uh, said a little earlier, I had a big birthday um, this week. I joined um, the 60s club, and um, so I've, I've borrowed from Psalm 37, uh, the, the title of uh, today's sermon, Once I Was Young, But Now I Am Old. Now, I know some of you are saying, Travis, 60's not old. I remember 60 and 60's not old. Others of you are thinking I'm 20 years late in preaching this sermon. You're thinking I should have preached this when I turned 40. Because age is um, a matter of perspective. But whatever your perspective, I want you to hear Proverbs 20, verse 29. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It'll be very close in yours. The glory of the young is their strength. The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. <laughs> That's the earliest I've ever gotten an amen, I think, in a sermon. I'm not yet ready to claim wisdom. I may, I may do that on my 70th birthday. Today, though, I can claim experience. It was uh, 43 years ago this month. I was 17 years old when I took my first official position on church staff. I became the uh, assistant youth minister and the youth choir director at the Grace Baptist Church in Oxford, Alabama. And, <laughs> silence your cell phones, please. Uh, my phone's going off. That was Walgreens calling. I'll call them back. <laughs> Probably about some, uh, my glucosamine chondroitin or some kind of medicine like that. <laughs> it's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> I was talking about my experience, about landing that job on church staff, um, which I landed because of my long list of uh, credentials and qualifications, and mainly because my Uncle Bartow was the pastor, and he hired me and said he'd, um, he'd pay me $25 a week if I'd, uh, if I'd help them with the youth ministry. 43 years ago this month. So I can claim experience with just a, a brief break. When I was a senior in, uh, in college at Sanford, there was about a five-month break there. But other than that, it's been 43 uh, straight years of serving as a vocational minister, first in youth and music and then missionary and now pastor. Because of my experience, I view life differently and I see ministry differently and and how's that? Well, I, I, I love the verse that, that Paul wrote to his friend Philemon. He says, I could be bold and order you to do this, 
But I'm an old man now, and I plead with you in love. I think that means that Paul, in his earlier years, was more brash than he was in his later years. And when he, with age and experience, relationships became more meaningful to him. I mean, deep, meaningful relationships were more important to him. And that's true for me. I, I'm not as brash as I was when I was younger. And deep, uh, meaningful relationships are just more important to me than ever. And I'm all, I've always been an extrovert. I've always been a so-called people person. But I'm talking not just about relationships, but deep, meaningful relationships are more important to me uh, than ever. I'm going to give you three examples of that, not just so I have an excuse to tell my story, but so maybe it will be helpful to you. Number one, I believe in reaching the next generations more deeply than I ever have. But I am more committed than ever to making sure we value people of all ages. Let me say that again. I believe in reaching the next generations more deeply than I ever have, but I am more committed than ever to making sure we value people of all ages. When we get to our capital stewardship campaign in a few months, you'll hear me talk a lot about the next generations. I do feel deeply the the call and the responsibility to reach and to help my generation and older generations engage young adults. Uh, I believe deeply in our responsibility to do that. But I also understand that, that any good church makes sure that every generation is valued, that every generation has a voice, that every generation has a place at the table. God inspired Paul to write to the young pastor, Timothy. Relate to the younger men as brothers and the older men as fathers. Relate to the younger women as sisters and the older women as mothers. In other words, you relate differently to each generation but you relate to every generation. I believe it's important that we value everybody from the, from the little one who's going to home from the hospital for the first time with mom and dad and the one who is confined to home because of the, of the limitations of age. I believe more deeply than I ever have in the, the call, the responsibility to engage the next generations, the generations of of carries in my kids and grandkids and, and those who will follow. But I've never been more committed to or understood more deeply the, the value of valuing every generation. Number two, I believe in the, the authority of Scripture more deeply than I ever have. But I also have come to understand the value of two phrases. I don't know and it seems. I believe in the authority of Scripture more deeply than I ever have, but I'm understanding the value of those two phrases. I don't know, and it seems. First, I don't know. I haven't quit studying, but there are things I don't yet know about the Bible. There are things I'll never know about the Bible, and I'm getting with age more comfortable saying, I don't know. And it seems comes from Acts 15. It was an important meeting of the church, the first church ever. And this was a critical time. It was a, it was a the controversy could have split the church and 
There was this thing going on in Antioch that, that was unprecedented. They didn't understand it. It was a newfangled way of doing church, and it caused a great uproar in the church at Jerusalem. And, and they had to deal with it. They couldn't kick the can down the road any longer, and they had to deal with it. And so finally they came to a position, and this is what they said in Acts 15. It seems best to us and the Holy Spirit. It seems You've never been in a business meeting as important as that one. The very future of the church was on the line, and the best they could come up with was, it seems best to us. To say it seems does not mean we don't have convictions, and it doesn't mean we don't have positions. It just means that, that we, we believe 1 Corinthians 13 when it says, we all see through a glass darkly. We are finite humans trying to understand the ways of the Almighty. And so I'm getting more and more comfortable saying it seems. It, it, now, I, I still have deep convictions, and they grow deeper, I think, with age. So I stand on my convictions as firmly as ever, but maybe a little more humbly than ever. I believe in the authority of Scripture more than I ever have, but I also understand the, the importance of those two phrases. I don't know, and it seems. Number three, there are only three points, but don't get excited. This is a long point, so you, you, may, you may not be as early to lunch as you might have thought. Number three, I believe in joining the mission of God to the world more deeply than I ever have, but I also have come to value doing that alongside as many people as possible. I'm going to say that again. I believe in joining the mission of God to the world more deeply than I ever have, but I also have come to value doing that alongside as many people as possible. I love the idea of being pioneers. Yes, this past week, 60 years ago this past week, the nation celebrated a monumental day. And I'm not talking about my birthday. I had not yet gone home. My mama had not yet taken me home from the hospital. I was only a day old when on May 28, 1959, two monkeys were strapped to the nose cone of a Huntsville-made Jupiter missile. And Abel and Miss Baker were shot into space where they flew for 15 minutes to test out what the impact or the, you know, the difference... Uh, that flight would make in the life of mammals. Abel and Miss Baker were pioneers. Miss Baker was, became quite the celebrity, lived for a long time. After that, in fact, she's buried. Her grave is marked out at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. They and other monkeys were volunteered. Well, I don't know if they were volunteers, but they were, <laughs> they were pioneers. And my guess is they didn't have a vote, but they were pioneers. They went where others had not yet gone. They want, we, the experts wanted to know what's it like out there, and then when we figure out what it's like out there, and then, uh, then others will follow. That's what a pioneer does. And I like the idea of our church being pioneers. The kingdom of God needs more pioneering churches. 
And I don't mean just new and newfangled churches. Now, I'm all for them. I'm all for any church that can reach people we can't. But I'm not talking about just new and hip and cool and newfangled churches. I'm talking about First Baptists and First Methodists and First Presbyterians and churches like ours with a legacy, a history, with tradition. I'm talking about stayed, established churches like ours being pioneers. I'm talking about churches like ours running the rapids. This week, I learned about a colorful riverboat captain named Simp McGee. He was born in Decatur. There's a restaurant there named for him. He, had a, he was the captain of the boat, the James Trigg. He's buried, by the way, down in Guntersville. Simp McGee was a, a legend around these parts in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. He took his boat from Decatur up, up and down the Tennessee between Decatur and at least as far as Chattanooga. And there was a section of the Tennessee River up near what is now Haletown, Tennessee, rapids called the Chute, A-C-H-U-T-E. And uh, most riverboat captains were afraid of the Chute because the Chute was, of course, rapid. It was swift. It was, it was shallow. It was rocky. It was so dangerous that there were wrecks of other ships along the banks of the Tennessee at the chute. Now, this is before the TVA, you know, changed the contours of the river. But riverboat captains hated the chute except for Simp McGee. Excuse me. Yeah, McGee. Simp McGee. <clears throat> when he would get to the chute... The deckhands knew he loved running the chute, and so they would get ready. They'd get their shovels to, you know, shovel the wood into the furnace to give the boat energy. And he would say this, grab your shovels, hold on to your britches, and kiss your girlfriends goodbye. And they'd run the chute. And they kept animal fat, I'd never heard of this, learned this, they kept animal fat, at least they did, near the furnace because it burns hot. And when they got to the part of the rapids where they needed an extra burst of energy, he'd yell out, lay the fat on! And they'd shovel that animal fat into the fire and shoot the rapids. Now, Eventually, the government installed a, um, a winch, a contraption that would, that would gently and slowly pull, slowly pull the, the river boats through the rapids called the chute. And so there was a line, always a line of river boats waiting to be gently pulled through the rapids. But when Simp McGee would get there and he'd see that line, he, he just... He'd say, come on, boys, let's go. And they'd bypass those waiting, and they'd run the rapids. Now, Sint McGee would, always lived on the edge of the law, and he was reckless. He never did lose anybody, but he sure did jeopardize the lives of a bunch. And I'm not Simp McGee, and this is not the James Trigg, but the North American church has reached the rapids. Pew Research began charting in 2007 
the number of people who check Christian on a poll. And they tell us that we're losing a percentage point every year. We began at 77% in 2007. We're losing a percentage point every year of people who even check Christian on a poll, which means that by the time Camden, our youngest grandson, who's not yet a year old, by the time he graduates from high school, he will graduate into a country, unless the trend reverses, he will graduate into a country that is minority Christian. Churches are struggling and some of them dying all across the North American landscape. Young adults in Alarming numbers are either abandoning the church or ignoring the church and the Christian faith. We've never seen a time like this. We have reached the rapids. And there's a long line of slowly dying churches waiting for some easy way through, some easy way to, to gently Enter the future. But that's not coming. The churches that will survive and thrive are going to have to run the rapids. It's time to lay the fat on. But here's what I want you to know from my heart. I want us all to run the rapids together. I think running the rapids all together is a whole lot more fun, and we're a whole lot more likely to make it through if we all go together, if everybody has a shovel. I want to give you an example of that. And that's our vote two Sundays ago to renovate the children's area and to build new space for our children. We voted with an 83.6% positive vote. And you got an email from me, members did, that afternoon that said, that vote is enough, and I'm quoting that email now, by rule to move ahead. However, the vote does not give me immediate confidence that we will be able to have a successful capital campaign. I'm asking the Leadership Council to meet soon and make a decision about how to proceed. Within 30 minutes, I got a text from somebody who's not even in Huntsville anymore, used to be a member here, still loves this church, that says, hey, I think 83.6% is pretty good for First Baptist. I'd already heard that there were other votes that were much better than that. In fact, when you voted to renovate this beautiful building, which was a great decision based on the pictures I've seen, it was a 77%. 83.6% sounds pretty good, but I think we can do better than 83.6%. I'm going to say that again. I think we can do better than 83.6%. Was I disappointed in the vote? I was. I was disappointed for two or three days, but that's where experience helps. Soon I was able to, to find something deeper than my disappointment, the emotion of disappointment. I was, and I know it sounds corny, but I tapped into something deeper than the emotion of disappointment. I tapped into my deep love for this church family, for my deep sense of call to this church family, and my profound confidence in not only the character of this church, but the future of this church. 
So the leadership council met on Wednesday, and on Thursday, you got this email from me. The positive vote on the building is strong enough, and the mission of reaching the next generations is compelling enough that we will move forward with renovations of our children's areas, along with the construction of an indoor playground and a gathering space for children. However, to honor the concerns voiced and to maximize the number of our family members who may walk arm in arm together into this venture, we are asking the trustees to see if there are modifications to the plan that will garner deeper and more widespread support. We anticipate that this project will be delayed several months in order to accommodate this. We voted for the project and the project will move forward, but I believe we can do better than 83.6%. We stopped once last fall when we got input. We've hit the pause button again, and I'm so deeply grateful to the trustees who are working tirelessly to do modifications, to try some modifications so that more of us can buy in. Hear me, we will not insist on the ideal of unanimity, but neither will we ignore the beauty of unity. Let me say that again. We will not insist on the ideal of unanimity, but neither will we ignore or dismiss the, the beauty of unity. Is this about being able to raise $7 million and needing everybody to play their part? Of course it is. From the very beginning, the intent was that we raise $7 million and not add anything to our debt. But in my heart, there's more than, it's about more than raising money. It's about running the shoot together. And so candidly, if you will follow my lead, we're going to run uh, the rapids. Life is too short to wait in line with a bunch of churches that are dying and waiting for some easy way through. And our window of opportunity as a church, I believe, is too small to wait. When I was your interim preacher, I said to you, I believe in the future and the potential of this church. And I said, I believe you have about 10 years to turn things around. At that time, it was a you, now it's an us. And, and yet I said that in 2015, I still believe it. And you can do the math. So do I speak with a sense of urgency? Do I get up in the morning with a sense of urgency? Absolutely. And I'm going to do all that I can to make sure we lay the fat on. What does that mean? It means, it means we're going to do whatever it takes to reach young adults and children, not at the expense of people my age and older, but we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to start more and more fresh expressions of church, to reach those who are highly unlikely to walk through the doors of 600 Governors Drive. We're going to be church at the heart of the city. We're going to do everything we can, and we're going to ask God's blessing of power to make sure that the waters of our baptistries are stirred more often. And I'm going to do all I can, I pledge this to you, to make sure that as many as will go together so that all of us can feel good, not only about where we're going, but how we're getting there. I want us to run the rapids all together. 
I just finished um, a 10-month course program called uh, Leadership Huntsville. And um, at our closing retreat up in uh, Knoxville, Taryn Thorpe, who was the, the leader of this class, gave us all a piece of paper that looked just like this. And uh, this piece of paper has on it the numbers uh, 1 through 100. And Taryn said, I want you to get that piece of paper and I want you to tear it at the number that corresponds to your present age. I tore it at 59. I wasn't quite ready to tear 60 yet, but now I got to tear 60. And then he said, I want you to tear it again at the number that corresponds to the year you think or the age you think you will die. So I tore it again. And he said, that little piece of paper represents the sliver of time that you have left. Now, that's not a morbid thought to me. That's a challenging thought to me. Reminds me of Psalm 90, 12 that said, Lord, teach me to number my days, to know my days are numbered, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And so I'm not talking just about our church now. I'm talking to you as an individual. Live life to its fullest. Life is a fragile and fleeting gift. Live life to its fullest. Run the rapids. Don't be afraid of the rapids. But run the rapids with as many people around you as you can. Because running the rapids with a crowd of people that you love like I do you is a whole heap more better than running them by yourself.